1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What you need to know about this book, First Peter, is that it was a letter written by, you guessed it, Peter. All right, First Peter is written by Peter, and if you, you, you remember from our, our walk through the Gospel of Mark, you know that, uh, that uh, the last time that Peter is mentioned... Uh, is not exactly sort of a glamorous time for him, is it? He's caught denying Jesus three times. He's, he's left feeling just sort of guilty and ashamed because of that. And what we find out is that after the resurrection, Jesus charged Peter with an important task. First, he forgives Peter. He restores Peter. And then he charges Peter with an important task to, to feed his sheep to shepherd his flock, to pastor his church. And so Peter and the other apostles, the other disciples, they sort of become the first leaders in the early church, the first martyrs of the early church. They're like the OG church planners. They're the guys that first started all the the early uh, first churches in in the first century. And it's with that heart with a church planner's heart, with a pastor's heart, that Peter writes this letter. And history tells us that Peter's writing this letter about 30 years after the resurrection. So he's a seasoned pastor at this point. And so you imagine being one of the early churches in the first century, receiving a letter from this Peter after 30 years. Uh, years, three decades of ministry under his belt after the resurrection of Jesus, like receiving a, a letter and encouragement like this for a Christian uh, must have been something really special. And so in this, in the first few verses of that letter, Peter takes time to give them, to encourage them with a word of hope. A word of hope. Hope that that he witnessed in the resurrection, hope that he experienced when Jesus forgave him, the hope that he's been preaching about, the hope that he's been looking forward to, just the hope that marked Peter's life. And so I want us to look in these verses at where hope reaches, why it is that we can receive hope, and how we actually live out that hope, how we activate that hope in our lives. So first, let's look at where hope reaches. Where hope reaches. Read, read beginning in verse 3 with me. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus 
Christ. There's an exclamation point there. So Peter is just gushing at this point. He's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off his letter to these Christians just gushing out and praise to God. Why? Because of who God is. Because of who's, what God's done, he continues and he says, according to his great mercy, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is the first thing I want us to see about uh, the, the reach that that hope has, is that hope reaches into our past. Hope reaches into our, our past to forgive us from our, our, our past sins, to, to make us born again. It says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's past. He has caused us. So you've probably heard that phrase, born again, right? You've probably heard that phrase, born again, before. Sometimes it's kind of used as almost like a brand type of Christianity, Right? Like there's Baptist Christianity, there's Presbyterian Christianity, there's charismatic Christianity, and then there's like born again Christianity. And a lot of times that's a phrase used by, by people, like especially in media, to describe sort of like stuck up, holier than thou sort of brand of Christianity. Like there's this British journalist, I, I read this quote from her this week, who, who once wrote, Why do born again people make you wish? that they were never born the first time, right? But in the scriptures, we see that that phrase, born or granted, even though it's sort of been hijacked as sort of like a, a pejorative brand phrase, in the scriptures, we see that really every Christian is a born-again Christian. Every Christian is somebody who's been, we can say, given new life. As a matter of fact, Jesus was once talking to a man named Nicodemus. He was a religious elitist, uh, uh, he, and, he, and uh, Jesus told him, Nicodemus approaches Jesus and says, what do I got to do? What do I need to do to enter the kingdom? And Jesus responds to him saying, look, if you want any part of this, if you want any part of me, if you want any part of God's kingdom, if you want to be saved, then Jesus says, you must be, what, born again. Born again. The picture we have here, there and, 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 and here in 1 Peter 1 is that to be born again is to be born into a new life with Jesus. It means you're dying to your old way of living and you're, you're, you're now uh, proverbially spiritually rising to walk in newness of life. Like we all have a physical birth, right? We celebrate it every year on our birthday. But what we're talking about here is a new spiritual birth. That's what it means to be born again. It's this idea here is that, is that we all need saving. But what we need saving from more than anything is not so much what's out there, but what's in here. That's why we need new life. That's why we need to be born again. And the Bible says that we are all physically born as totally depraved creatures who fall short of God's glory in just all that we do, in all that we think, and in all that we are. And so you don't have to be a person of faith to know that something, something is deeply wrong with us. You don't have to be a person of faith to know that there's, there's something deeply wrong with humanity. 
And that brokenness, our, our sins, your past, that, that can suffocate any sort of hope we have. There's this, that, that old Shakespearean classic, Macbeth, where in the most famous scene, Lady Macbeth was, she's this woman who plotted to murder the king of Scotland. And she starts sleepwalking this one night, and while sleepwalking, she starts sort of rubbing her hands in this attempt to, to cleanse herself from what she calls this damned spot, this blood stain. And she has that, that classic phrase, that famous phrase, she says, out damned spot, and she's like, trying to rub it out, trying to make it go away. And she goes to town on this blood stain on her hand that's really just a figment of her imagination. She's, she's dreaming. She's sleepwalking. But we see that her guilt in this moment, it's, it's driving her insane. And this is a, a, this is a proverb, sort of a, a parable given to us by Macbeth. The, the spot is a picture of our, our spiritual guilt. Of guilt, and Lady Macbeth is really a picture of humanity, where we recognize that really we all were created pure and clean like a glass of water, but then sin entered the world, sin entered humanity. It can feel small at first, but then it spreads and it makes its way into everything. It affects the way we think, it affects the way that we act, the way that we treat each other. It affects our institutions and our nations and history. Albert Einstein, not a believer in Christ, but he once said, it is easier to denature plutonium than it is to denature the evil spirit of man. But we all have this sense that there's something deeply wrong with humanity. And so Jesus gives us a hope, a hope that reaches into our past and saves us from ourselves. Peter says, according to his mercy, we've been born again by the power of the resurrection, a hope that reaches into our past. The Apostle Paul, he put it this way. We read this earlier in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, he says, the new has come. What does God do for us in Jesus? He makes us new. He does the one thing that we cannot do, that we cannot achieve, and that we do not deserve. Sin brought death into humanity, and Jesus brings new life. And here's why we need that new birth. Why we need to be born again is because apart from Jesus, we're all spiritually dead. We're not just morally impure. We're not just lost. We're not just blind. We're not just ignorant. The Bible says we're spiritually dead apart from him, totally depraved, unable to respond to the truth of who God is. And so we're in desperate need of what? Of hope. And that's, it's in that hopelessness that God sends his son to die, to suffer, to experience the weight of all evil on the cross in our place for our sins. And so hope reaches into our past in Jesus. Secondly, we also see how we, we have a hope that reaches also into our future. A hope that reaches into our future. Read uh, verse 3 and 4 with me. It says, we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, when's the last time? That last time in this verse is referring to the return of Jesus. When Jesus returns. And so when Jesus returns, it says all evil, all suffering, all death will be fully sort of swallowed up and his victory will be fully realized. Peter says this eternal inheritance Jesus gives us is it's imperishable. It can't grow old. It's undefiled. Nobody can, can vandalize it. Nobody can change it. It's unfading. It lasts. And it gets better and better and better every day. No matter what you're dealing with today, no matter what you're suffering with today, no matter what you're wrestling with, the resurrection shows us that we're all moving toward glory. That there is a day and time where you'll experience hope and glory, the hope and glory of Christ in all its fullness. And every dark thing that you've ever experienced will be gone and swallowed up. Read verse 5 with me. It says, by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Guarded through faith. The Greek word, the root Greek word there for that word guarded is, is, is the word through reo. And it's, it's this picture of really like a fortress. Like that's the kind of guarding. It's like a military guarding, a strong fortress. This fortress uh, picture uh, is given to us all throughout the Old Testament where God is referred to as a fortress of his people. And so, and so Peter's saying, look, this same God, this fortress guard, God, who, who guards it with military might, he's guarding us for that day in that way. You might be thinking, like, I don't, I don't have the strength for hope right now. And, and Peter says, like, yeah, you don't. You don't have the strength, but that's why God is guarding you for that day. He's your fortress. In Christ, you have a future hope where even death won't hold you down and you'll be made new like that clean glass of water. Jesus has secured for us an eternal future where there will be no more groanings for hope, no more grieving over death, and no more guilt for our sin. It's a hope that reaches into our future, a promised future. We also see that this hope reaches into our present. It reaches into our present. Read verse 6 with me. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in these, in these words, in these verses, Peter's describing how the hope of Jesus bears weight on the here and the now. Notice the words he uses. He says, when, when you're grieving, when you're experiencing trials, 
It feels like you're being tested. Super exciting words, right? <laughs> no one signs up for those, yet we, we all experience these, don't we? When Peter says you rejoice in this hope, though for a little while, while you've been grieved by various trials, the you in that, in that verse in, Peter is, in Peter's intended audience includes all kinds of people. All kinds of people. The recipients of his letter includes rich people and poor people, young people and old people, veteran Christians and new believers. And yet he writes as if suffering is a universal problem. All of us are going to experience it. All of us go through trials. Suffering does not discriminate. That's one of the things that I love about the Bible. One of the things I love about the scriptures is it's just honest about that. It's just honest that sometimes things just kind of stink, right? Like that things are hard and seem like they're not working how they should be. We're not always crushing it. And the scriptures validate that. When you look at the Psalms, the biggest book in the Bible, it's filled with praise and joy and hope. But it's also laden with lament and sorrow and protest, questions to God like, why are things the way they are? Where are you in the middle of all this? We see that Jesus stands by the graveside of his dead friend and he weeps. That that passage where he stands at his friend's graveside, it says that he's angry at death. When he's praying in Gethsemane before he's about to be betrayed, it says that he experiences anguish. It's okay to own that. It's okay to recognize that, that sometimes things are hard. Sometimes we go through these trials. Look what Peter says about this kind of suffering. It says, he says in verse 7, seven he says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Peter uses the word test, he's not talking about like an exam that you need to pass. I think sometimes we read that word and he's like, okay, that's what that means, right? Like I need to pass this exam. What he's talking about is really more of a tempering, like, a, like a, the testing that a precious metal goes through when it's being made. He says that our faith in suffering, getting tested by fire, like what he's talking about is, is that process that metal goes through when it's tested, when it's tempered in order to be refined, in order to be made precious. Like when a metal smith first works with metal, it's, it starts in an ore state, Right? sort of janky little rock, dirty rock with a lot of jagged edges in this ore state. You know, like, have you ever seen those beautiful necklaces just made out of ore, right? You guys have seen it? No, of course not, right? They don't exist. (laughs) Because ore isn't usable for something like jewelry because it has imperfections. It has no strength. It breaks apart easily. It It can be molded if you press it hard enough. It has no strength and it has no beauty. It hasn't been refined. That's why nobody has ore hanging around their neck. 
what a metalsmith has to do is he or she will add this white hot heat to transform the metal, melt it down and purify it so that its nature can be transformed. So that its makeup, its chemicals can be purified. It can be to make it stronger, to make it more beautiful. Peter's saying that's what suffering does for the Christian. With the hope of resurrection, our suffering, our trials make us stronger, make us more beautiful. Peter says when you come to Jesus, like, like, like if we're actually honest, if we're honest, sometimes like our faith is, is, is flimsy. There are times where you doubt God's love and goodness and wisdom, and, and those are like imperfections that, that robs your faith of strength and beauty. But Peter says, when you come to Jesus and are born again, you're like a piece of ore. Well, there are times where you're kind of struggling in your faith because of suffering that you're enduring or because of evil in the world that's just kind of slamming you, confronting you, making you ask big why questions or the heartache that you're wrestling with in prayer. And it's in those moments, Peter says, that the Holy Spirit of God is applying the white hot heat of the hope of the resurrection, taking your faith to places that you never intended to go in order to produce in you which you cannot achieve by yourself. Our God is zealously committed to purifying and strengthening you. And so those moments where we wrestle with Jesus in in prayer, where we feel the grief of loss or of pain or of weakness or suffering or of lament, those are the moments that the Lord is using to refine us, to strengthen us, to polish us, to make us beautiful spiritually. And so we see that hope reaches far and wide. It reaches uh, to the depths of our souls. It reaches into our past. It gives us a hope for the future, and it gives us a, a present hope. It reaches into the present when we're going through hard stuff. Secondly, I want us to see why we can receive this hope. Why is it possible that we can receive this hope is kind of the big idea of our sermon last week, but we see it again in verse 3. How does God give us hope in Christ? According to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. That's why we can receive hope. It's not because, notice it does not, it's not because we're awesome or because we're special or noble or strong. Our hope isn't given because of anything in us, but because of something in him. According to his great mercy. Do you know what it means when we say that God is merciful? Mercy is, is, we can define mercy as basically goodness and compassion that's extended towards someone in need. And so when we say that God is merciful, what we are saying is that he's giving us, he's offering us goodness and compassion towards us who are in desperate need of it. Uh, I have a I have a two-year-old and, and, and a four-year-old. Some of you guys know that. We have a newborn, too. But our two-year-old and four-year-old, they're, they're the ones that are old enough to eat candy, right? And in our kitchen, we keep all the kids' like, good snacks on the top shelf where they can't reach them, right? I can reach them, but they can't. 
right? We got to monitor that. And so if they, if they want to get those, those Kit Kats or those peanut butter cups, then I've got to bring it down to them. You could say in some sense, they're at my mercy when it comes to those Kit Kats. You see, small children, they're, they're needy like that. They're always needy like that. They constantly need help. They constantly need assistance and guidance and support. They constantly need provision and protection. We could say they're in constant need of someone showing them mercy for what they need. Peter says, all that we have in Jesus, all that we have because of the hope of the resurrection is according to his great mercy. That's why we can receive it. God's mercy is great, Peter says. It's his great mercy. There's enough to meet our gravest need. It's mercy that abounds to forgive our past, to hope for our future, to endure in the present. His mercy is abounding. That's the point of the gospel story. The whole point of the scriptures is to tell the story of the grace and the mercy and the hope that we have in God. Like the whole scriptures are a record and narrative of God and his grace and his mercy. It's a story about him. We want to make it a story about us. About how to find meaning and purpose in life. About how to get ahead and be successful. About how to just be like a happy person. And there's some of that in there. But that's not primarily what it's about. The Bible is not primarily about you. It's, it's for you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about God's greatness and his grace and his mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the big idea of the scriptures. That's that, that, that big E on the eye chart that we cannot miss. If you're born again into a living hope, well, think about that. It doesn't just say you, you get a living hope. It says you have to be born again into it. Why that language? Why that born again language? It's because it's something that you're plunged into. The gospel is not, if I try hard, maybe God will bless me and reward me someday. The gospel is, because of what Jesus has done, something is kept for me. Something is guaranteed to me. I've been born again. I've been given new life. I can't do that. I can't make myself born. I couldn't make myself get born the first time. I had no control over that. And I have no control over being born again spiritually. That's why when it starts in verse 3, when, when Peter started, uh, when we, we started, he said, Blessed be, praise be, glory be to God. The reason God is being praised at the start of our text is because he's the great initiator of that hope. He's the great initiator of that new life. In the same way that you had to say uh, that you had no say in your physical birth, we have no say in our spiritual birth. And if you know Jesus this morning, it's primarily because your eyes have been opened by the Spirit of God, and you've been adopted as sons and daughters from God on high. You didn't do that. God did that. So we've seen now what, how, where hope reaches. We've seen why we can receive it because of the grace and mercy of God. And now I want us to look at how we can actually live it out. 
How do we live out? How do we activate this hope in our life? How do we muster it up? Read verse 8 with me. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, talking about Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You want to know how to live with resurrection hope? You want to know how to activate that hope in your life? You love Jesus. That's what it says. You just you love him. You love him for who he is and for what he's done. Christianity is, is not about finding Jesus in, in the abstract. It's primarily about finding him in history. Seeing what's written about him and revealed about him. It's learning about who he is and what he's done for you through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And loving him for it. Rejoicing because of it. You want to know how Jesus dealt with his own suffering? You want to know what he did when he suffered? Because no one suffered more than Jesus, right? No one suffered more than Jesus on the cross when the Father turned his face away. Physical suffering, emotional anguish, spiritual anguish. Where did Jesus himself find strength and hope in the midst of suffering? Hebrews 12 tells us, I'll turn, turn there really, really quick. In Hebrews 12, in the first couple of verses, the author of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And read what it says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, with the cross in front of him, how did he endure in the middle of that? With that in front of him, how did he endure? It says in Hebrews 12, because of the greater joy that was in front of him beyond that. You know what joy that was? It wasn't the joy of heaven because he already had that. It's where he came from. The Bible says that Jesus was sent for God's joy in the salvation of sinners like you and me. That's his joy. That's his joy. That's his joy that made him endure. The joy he would have in enduring the cross to save us, to be with us. That was his joy that made him pull through. And does hearing that, does that warm your heart? Does that woo you in? You see, knowing that is what makes him our living hope. One of the most amazing acts of God's grace in our hearts is when he opens up our hearts to love him. When you were born dead in your sin, your heart was facing away from God. And if there's any love in your heart for God, we know it's because he's made you born again. He's made you alive in Jesus. It's because you've been touched by his transforming grace. 
That is our hope that helps us endure. You see, if your hope is that your spouse is going to fix and all that feels off in you, all that feels wrong in you, well, you're going to be disappointed. And so is your spouse. (laughs) If your hope is that you'll be able to sort of manage and control the world around you with your job, your promotions, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be really, really disappointed too. If your hope primarily is that you can control your own health, that you can, you know, eat enough kale and do enough yoga to live forever, (laughs) you're going to be disappointed. There's nothing wrong with pursuing those things. There's nothing wrong with getting better with those things, but they're not our ultimate hope. You know what I mean? It's not that hope that's unfading and undefiled that Peter talked about. The argument Peter's pushing is that true, living, lasting hope will not disappoint because it's rightly placed. Having new life in Christ means our hope is life in Christ. That's our hope, our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is saying yes to following Jesus. It's taking steps in faith. It's putting yourself out there, risking yourself out there by faith, knowing that Jesus will be enough regardless of life's circumstances, regardless if it works out. You see, your living hope is not the treasures that you'll see in heaven, as awesome as that will be. Your living hope is not the people that you'll see in heaven, as awesome as that will be. Your living hope, your undefiled, unfading hope, is finding your treasure in the ultimate person, Jesus, your shepherd, your Prince of Peace, your King of Kings, the one who treasures you, who wants to change you and bring you into his family. Read that last verse with me, verse 8 and 9. Peter says, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, you can have deep joy and hope even in the middle of trials and tests and grief because you understand that the trial is just drawing you closer to Jesus. That our trials and our sufferings are just showing us more of him, delivering to you the thing that your heart longs for the most, the salvation of your souls. Maybe this morning you find yourself tempted to believe that that God is is really not at work in the middle of the hard stuff because the trials are just so hard right now. Do you judge God according to how comfortable he makes your life? That's not the gospel. That's not refining fire. What is the good news that you preach to yourself when you're going through through hard stuff, when you're going through suffering. Let it be that you have a loving Redeemer in Jesus who will use your trials to refine you until you are without weakness and without blemish. So his glory shines through you. So he makes you strong. So he makes your faith beautiful. When you're going through trials, Let that be an opportunity to say to ourselves, this is love. This is hope. 
This is love. Jesus is delivering to me what my heart longs for the most in the middle of this suffering. The salvation of my soul. More of him. That's what I need most. He is loving. He is faithful. And he is true. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.